May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our Redeemer. Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, if you were here, I wasn't, so. <laughs> uh, the church celebrated the ascension of Jesus. That story of Jesus after his resurrection, Jesus is taken up. He's raised up to heaven out of reach. Jesus was taken up into the very life of God, that dimension of reality that ultimately remains beyond our ability to see and to touch, to measure. We can't see Jesus because he's ascended. And so no longer could his disciples see, feel, or touch Jesus. He died on the cross. They thought that was it. But he was raised from the dead and stood in their midst. But now, almost as soon as he's been raised, he's out of sight. Jesus promised to send his spirit to them, but life goes on as usual. Each day passes, day after day after day, week after week. Another worship service, wash the dishes, care for the sick, feed the poor, punch in, punch out. One day Christ is risen, everything's changed, and the next day he's gone. He leaves them all alone. So you can imagine that their batteries start to drain. Helium slowly starts to leak out of the balloon and it sort of drifts down from the ceiling, bump, 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 a couple times across the floor. And then it just starts to gather dust in the corner because the party's over. Maybe I'm just thinking of children in balloons all the time, I don't know. But one moment Jesus is there in their midst, and then the next he's gone, and the party's over. One moment life is electric, and the other it's back to normal. If you've been walking the path with Jesus, whether it's for a lifetime or whether it's new for you, pretty soon you realize that there are moments, there are days, seasons in our lives even, where our lives feel like they're shot through the power and presence of God. Now, for some of us, this can be really obvious, like full-blown, Holy Ghost explosion, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But for others, it can be more subtle. Things fall into place. Life clicks together. The heart is strangely warmed. In the words of the great evangelist John Wesley, I mean, he was English, so that was probably like as, as high temperature as you get. Ooh, I feel a strange warmth in my, my English heart. Either way, the world is a place of joy, excitement, hope, and possibility. The world is different, and we can see it, feel it, touch us, touch it. It's like Jesus is in the building. But then there are those other times, moments, days, seasons, maybe even longer, where there's none of that stuff. Life can be, well, you know, boring. It can be mundane. It can feel like the same thing day in 
day out, or it can go even further. It can be worse. It can feel like anxiety, disappointment, depression, like Jesus has just left the building where he didn't even show up in the first place. The thing is that when we've got a taste of that joy, that excitement, we can spend our whole lives looking back and wanting it more. Longing, wishing we had that feeling once again back in high school, back when we just started our career or got married or just had kids, back before our bodies started to ache, back when we could do stuff. Faith communities often experience this too. You hit a dip, and then you long for a flourishing past when everything was on the up and up. Things were great back then. Either way, it's a past that we can never actually return to. A friend of mine, though, has a variation on the old saying, rather than the grass is always greener on the other side, that you will always remember the grass being greener than it actually was. We can dwell on those moments and those times in our lives that are filled with the Spirit and end up being unable to be present or satisfied here and now. So maybe we try our best to recreate that feeling, try to recapture it again. I remember a conversation with somebody who struggles with heroin. Maybe this is an extreme example, but I think that, it's, I think that it works. He said that he had that stereotypical sense of being covered with a warm blanket whenever he used it. He said it was like being a kid again and having his mom give him a big squeeze. He said it was like plugging into the Holy Spirit every time he used. It was like that for a moment, but it wasn't that. It was like that for a moment, and then it went away. Or maybe we might long for intimacy and excitement that's missing from a relationship. So we seek out another one trying to recreate that feeling again. And either way, we might get it for a moment, but in the end, it doesn't live up to our expectations and maybe we even hurt people to get it. And we still have that sense of longing, that emptiness waiting to be filled, sort of reaching out, seeking after it. And it's true, we all long for joy. We all long to be filled with electric life. We've actually been created for this, for joy, deep joy and communion with our creator. There's nothing wrong with it. When we've got a taste for it, we want more. It's completely natural. It's wired into us. But rather than pursuing the creator, we can become caught up in pursuing that feeling again. Getting that hit, that spark that joy. I mean, the disciples stood in the same room as Jesus, side by side, then he's gone. I mean, how could you possibly beat that? Or how could anything possibly measure up to that again? So Jesus is gone. He's out of sight. Life has gone back to that same old pattern. Jesus' followers could have just given up. They could have scattered gone seeking elsewhere, but they stayed together. They lived their lives together in a common life, still longing for that holy power and presence that Jesus brought them. And one day, 
They're gathered like we are today. For worship, for prayer, for community, just another day. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it says the Holy Spirit enters the room, blowing open the doors like a rush of wind, and the Holy Spirit lands on the heads of everybody in the room. And whether the heads are covered in blonde hair, black hair, red hair, brown hair, gray hair, white hair, or no hair, the Spirit lands, it says, as tongues of fire on each. And the wind blows them off their feet and out the door, and Jesus' followers are empowered to speak boldly to everybody on the street. They may be able to speak languages of their listeners, from Mandarin to Swahili, Arabic, and even disenchanted Canadian English. The presence of Christ that was missing, the presence of Christ which they longed for, hoped for, he enters the room again. Not in the same way they knew or expected, but in a new way, a whole new way. That life that they longed for pours into the room. There's a spark. The space is lit from the inside outward. And their hearts are on fire once again, but this time with a new vision and a new purpose in the world. You know that hymn, Come, O Holy Spirit, set the church on fire? I think that that's what it's trying to get at there. While I was listening to this text this week, I was reminded of the words of the great Lutheran theologian, Robert Jensen. Jensen once said that the difference between a living God, a real God, the God who creates, redeems, and sustains all things, and a dead God, or an idol, the difference is that a living God can surprise you. What today, what Pentecost means, what we're gathered together as a community of faith today to celebrate is this big surprise. One that allows us to live in hope and light in the promises of this surprising living God. It may first sound like bad news because according to the Pentecost story, with this living God, there's nothing we can do to gain the kind of joy, the kind of life, the kind of power we long for. So much religion is about manipulating the divine into giving us what we want kind of power we long for. Bad news is, according to this story, that there's no surefire technique to get it. I mean, I'd love to be able to give that to you. I'd love to be able to sell you a path to life in the Holy Spirit. I mean, some people do. Send away a check for $59.99, and I will send you all you need to live in the Holy Spirit. But that's not the way it works in our tradition. That's not what we believe. We believe that God works in God's own time. There was nothing the first church could simply do to plug back into the presence of Christ. Otherwise, it would have happened in the first day. Oh, did you try this? Oh, no, I didn't think about praying. What a great idea. Did you think about praying harder? Oh, yes. Why don't we do that? Maybe that'll work. There was nothing that they could do to simply plug back into the presence of Christ. The Spirit blows where she will. There's no formula. There's no guidebook. There's no technique. And then you say, Ryan, what do we pay you for? 
you pay me to tell you things like this. But the good news, that might sound like bad news, but the good news is that the Spirit will come. That's the promise. The good news is that the Spirit is promised to us. God may work in God's own time, but the promise is that God did, God does, and God will come to us with healing, with grace, with hope, with power. Whoever we are, wherever we may be. Jesus promises that in the words of the prophet Joel, actually Peter promises on behalf of Jesus, to be a little bit more correct, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I mean, I love that part where many of the original hearers of Jesus' message from his first followers thought they were just drunk on new wine. What do you mean? It's nine o'clock. We couldn't possibly be drunk, Peter says. But as the people of Jesus, this is what nourishes and sustains us. We live in faith and expectation that the light that Jesus offers us is promised to us and is promised to all. It will come. It will come in God's own time, and when it does, nothing will ever be the same again. We live in the hope of that promise. So if you live without hope or live without purpose, if your heart is weighted by sadness, you can expect joy. You can expect new life. If you live in loneliness, and isolation, you can expect the warmth of God's everlasting arms in beloved community. If you live shackled by struggles and demons of sin, you can expect newfound freedom. And if you live in shame with pain for the things you've done or left undone, you can expect forgiveness. You can expect abundant life because this is promised to you if not today, if not tomorrow, one day. God works in God's own time. But God works, and God is at work. And when the flames of grace are lit, when the Spirit finally comes, nothing will ever be the same again. Let us pray. God, Holy Spirit, come to us. Come among us. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the dew and refresh. Come to us in your own time, on your own terms, to convict, convert, and consecrate our many hearts and lives to your great good and to your greater glory. Revive us again, we pray, in Jesus' name.
Amen.